Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. All right. Good to see you all this morning. You all look great today. I hope you enjoyed your short week. I hope you got to take a day off. Man, I had a good weekend. Just saying. A couple of good football games. Just saying. Life is good. I'm ready to go. Got to do some baptism. And we're here. And so we are into this mini-series called DNA, It's Who We Are. And uh, we have this book provided for you. It's located out front. If you haven't received one, please stop by and get one. It's on the little table as you exit today. It'll tell you a lot about our church. Now, that's important for you uh, to know if you're going to be a part of a church that you're partnering with, that you're invested in. It's important that you know who we are. And so we're trying to exercise some additional transparency. We want to answer questions before they're asked. We want you to know who it is we are and why we believe uh, how we believe. And we're trying to show you that scripturally. And uh, it's created some interesting conversations, which are always healthy or most often healthy and good. And so that's why we're doing this thing. And so we've covered a lot of things over the last few weeks. And last week, we began unpacking our three uh, mission objectives. And they're simply said like this, uh, growing, excuse me, it's simply said like this, knowing, growing, and going. That's what we're here for. That's what you're here for as a Christian, and that's who we are as a church. And so it begins by knowing Jesus in an intimate way, a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and we talked about last week about the triune God, that Jesus before, if you're going to know him, you need to know who he is. Jesus is God. Just say that with me. Jesus is God. Okay, you got to understand that. And if you don't know that, if you're not convicted of that, listen to last, last week's message. We'll walk through Scripture and help you understand that because it's huge that you get that. And so we moved from, and, and we'll address that double back in a couple of weeks and address a little bit more about knowing Jesus. Uh, but today we're going to talk about growing as a group of followers of Jesus. That's our mission objective number two, to grow. And it's found in the middle of this book. And so you can read the notes later. You can take notes today. You can just sit there and listen in the coolness of this amazing room. And that's what we're going to talk about. And so, uh, so it's important that you know for us to grow, one of the things, one of the parts of that, which we'll get to next week, are small groups. We want you to be a part of a smaller circle. We want you to be a part of a group. We want you to find a community of people that you can do life with together. Because the truth is, we all go through stuff that we would rather not endure. And sometimes we feel alone. And a group will help you find a circle to remind you that there's more people living in the same world that you're living in, going through the same stuff that you're going through. And so we're going to talk about that more, but we want you to know as you leave today, if you'd like to be a part of a group, you can go by a table we have set up. You can sign up for one. If one doesn't exist for you, uh, you can just put your name down and we'll create one. Our goal is for you to prayerfully consider if God would have you to be a group leader, maybe here at church uh, in one of our rooms or in your home. And, and you say, well, I just don't know if I'm gifted to do that. It's not about being gifted to do that. Well, I don't know if, if I'm social enough. It's not about being, I don't know if I'm biblically a student. It's not about that. It's about being willing to help people find community. And it's a really, really big deal. So today we're going to begin learning about that, growing as a community of Jesus followers. And it begins, the, the title of this message and next week is one word, circle. Everybody say circle. Now, here's the thing. It's a circle of faith. And, and to understand why I selected this word, let's, let's define it. By definition, the word circle geometrically is a circle is a round plane figure whose boundary called the circumference consists of points equidistant from the fixed 
point located in the center. Socially, by definition, a circle is a group of people with shared professions, interests, and or acquaintances. So here's the thing. The church is a circle. It is a community of people with Jesus in the center. And God's goal for you is not to be on the fringe, like outside the circle with one foot in and one foot out. It's for us to be equally distanced from Jesus, to understand who he is, understand who we are, understand how God wants to engage us. And listen, to me, we're going to find out that when we do that well, when we find out what our place in the circle is, the community, the circle becomes full, complete, and it grows in size. And that's God's goal. I want you to know that God's goal for this world is to rescue it from an eternal destination called hell. That's God's goal. And he's done everything he needs to do to make that happen. And it's found in Jesus, his son. But then we have a place, uh, a part in that great, glorious kingdom agenda. Look at the person next to you and say, God has a place for you. Now look up here and just shake your head like this. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Listen, God has a place for you. And it's bigger than you know. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Now, if those definitions weren't enough, and if you're not convinced that the circle is a really big deal, you can get online, you know, where all the truth hangs out. And you can look up and you'll find this this, uh, revelation about circle. I'm really going to blow your mind. Because there's some brainiacs out there in the physics realm that get things deeper than we do. This is what they say. There's an article and it's entitled, A Simple Circle Runs the Whole Universe. This is true. I'm not making this up. You'll see. I don't even know these words. Are you ready? Here's the quote. Complementarity is the basis for identity because duplicity is the basis for a unit because a simple circle is conserved, meaning you cannot have yin without yang because you cannot have a circumference of zero without a diameter of one. This means a circle runs the whole universe. (laughs) That's what I thought. It says explaining rotation, revolution, radiation, electricity, magnetism, and gravity everything in nature is controlled by the circle aren't you blessed amen aren't you blessed with that revelation right there I don't even know what he's talking about okay I just know this somebody thinks the circle is important and I want you to know regardless of the physical realm I want you to know in the spiritual realm the circle is important and I want you to know that's who we are as a church we're a circle we're a group of people with a common belief and it should have Jesus as the very epicenter of the whole thing now for the church then for the circle to be complete for it to grow, for it to be healthy, for it to be everything that God intends his circle, his community, his church to be, it begins on a personal level. It means I have a personal responsibility and you have a personal responsibility. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Number one on the back of your worship guide, it begins with personal growth. It's, it begins with you and I taking responsibility for our spiritual life, for our personal walk with God. Because if we're not intentional, if we're not devoted, if we're not disciplined to this thing called our faith in Jesus, our, our walk with God, if we're not intentional about that, we become flatlined. Flatlined is a Christian not like the two that I baptized this morning. That's not flatline Christianity. That's excitement, all right? That's, that's getting it. But if we're not careful, we'll become flatline. And I've, I've, I've walked in those shoes, flatline Christianity. It's defeated. 
It's miserable. It feels like you're getting to do, you're missing out on the, the good stuff. You walk with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and it is not victorious. And it is because God never intended for you to live that life. God wants you to live a life that's abundant, full, and free. Jesus said, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I come that you might have life more abundantly. And sure, that entails an eternity in heaven, but it begins at the moment of our transformation, of our conversion, of being lost and now saved, blind and now seeing, a child of the devil, now a child of God. With that comes life, and it should have some degree of vibrancy. And so it begins, it only happens through personal growth. Now, personal growth in the kingdom means you understand your part. You understand your place. You understand your calling. You understand your commission. You understand what it is that God wants you to do. Listen, you weren't just saved to come and warm a seat, listen, uh, sing a few songs, or listen to our worship team sing a a few songs, and listen to a preacher preach a message. That's not why you're saved. You're not simply saved just so you can spend eternity in heaven with God. Those are parts of it. You were saved with a purpose. God designed you. He knit you together. He wired you with a plan and a purpose that's bigger than than you know you have. It's bigger than what you see every day when you look in the mirror. It's bigger than that. And so to help us understand a little bit, let's, I'll show you in Ephesians chapter 4, I know what my place is, okay? I want you to know what your place is. And I don't think we always know. And if we do know, I don't think we always operate in them well. Listen to what Ephesians says in chapter 4, verse 11. He first addresses personal growth to a person like me. He says in verse 11, and he himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets. A prophet is a spokesman or an interpreter for a deity. And I'm a prophet. I'm not a, I'm not a foreteller. I'm a foreteller. I don't, I don't tell the future. I tell what God has already said about the future. I, that's my job. It goes on and he says some as evangelists. And, and a euangelistes, it's a preacher of the gospel. That's what I am. That's who I am. It's what I'm called to be. He goes on, he said, and some as pastors, poimen, a shepherd, overseer, superintendent, and teachers. That's me. I know that's me. I, I can't run from it. I, I, I can run from it. I can't hide from it. It's what I'm called to do. It's what God has challenged and commissioned me to do until he takes me home. It's why I told you, you know, you're stuck with me. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay right here until Jesus comes and gets us all or takes me home. That's it. It's just that simple. I'm not looking at retirement. I'm not, I'm not checking my 401k. If I was, I, wouldn't, I would be looking at a retirement further out there. Uh, I'm here because God called me and placed me here, and I love what I do. Now, that's me, but he doesn't stop there. You see, Scripture never stops. He, he goes on. He says, this is why I've called you, Pastor. This is why I did this. He says, why, verse 12, to equip. My primary responsibility is to equip. To equip means it's ketartismos. It's to prepare and qualify for a purpose. To qualify who? For what? Okay. I, now I know my job. I know my description. I know my gifts. I know why I'm here. Now it's 
your part. People like you. To equip who? The saints, Scripture says. Well, who are the saints? It's the hagios. It's the born-again people. It's not just the people who say, yeah, I'm saved nominally. They're not saved. They just want, they don't want to be left out. So they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. This is for born-again people. This is for people who have had an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God, a conviction within that says, hey, because of your sin, you're separated from a holy, righteous, perfect God. But then the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us there. He says, but God has done all the work in coming to this earth in a man named Jesus who died on a cross, rose again on the third day to pay your sin debt. You have that encounter and you say, oh, wow, what do I do with that? You receive it. That's what you do. And the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we're born again. We're transformed. We're converted. That's the saints. So if you're here today and you are a saint because you've been converted, you've been redeemed, you've been purchased by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you are a saint. Oh, saint you. Look at your neighbor and say, you look awful saintly today. Tongue in cheek. You know you didn't believe it. Some of you didn't even look over. Okay? You're a saint if you're born again. God sees you as a saint. That simply means someone who is set apart for his kingdom agenda and purpose. Now you ready? If you're a saint, I've told you what my job is. It's to, it's to pastor, to preach, to teach, uh, to evangelize, uh, to, prophes- uh, to be a prophet, a, por- a foretelling of Scripture. And, it, and I'm, to equip, I'm to equip you as a saint for what? Well, let's see what Scripture says. He says, equip the saints for the work, the ergon, just oh hard work. Your job as a saint is to work the kingdom. That's it. If you put it in a garden, it requires work. If you cut your grass, it requires work. If you clean your house, it requires work. You see, we live in a world where there's laws of nature. One of them is called entropy. Entropy is nature's longing for disorganization and chaos. Okay? You want to believe it's true? Look in your closet. You want to believe it's true? Open your garage door. You want to believe it's true and you have children? Look in the black back floorboard of your SUV. French fries and chicken nuggets, okay? Entropy, a longing for disorganization and chaos. So in this world that comes along, that brings that with it, it requires work to make it right. In the world of spirituality, people are lost or they're saved. It requires work. Now, you can't work to be saved, but you listen to me. You are called to work because you're saved, You were saved to serve. Tell the person next to you, you're supposed to be serving. Now, how do you serve? What are you supposed to be doing? It's a good question. Glad you asked. He says this, you are called to the work of the ministry. The ministry, the diakoneo, to serve others and to work the church. Why? What is the God's goal for me and for you working together as a circle in his kingdom? Are you ready? Here it is. Verse 12, the end, to build up the body of Christ. You're supposed to be building up the body of Christ. Now, it's building. This church is building. Uh, God's building a great church here at this location. Okay, saving people. We, uh, nearly every week we get to baptize. Or, and, 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 and it's awesome. It's beautiful. But it's, it's deeper than that. It's more particular than that. God's calling you to be a part of building the kingdom. You have a job to do. Listen, if you're a saint, if you're a saint, the God of the universe lives in you. His Holy, His, His Holy Spirit indwells you. We're going to look at that in a minute. He sealed you. Jesus, God's son. Jesus, God, the son. He died for you. 
You got a story to tell. If you're going to heaven when you die, you got a story to tell, and that is why you're going to heaven rather than what you and I deserve, and it's a place called hell. You got a story to tell. Tell the person next to you, are you ready to tell your story? You need to get ready. You need to be telling your story. Look, look around. There's empty seats in here. We, 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 haven't built, we haven't finished building yet, okay? I haven't finished uh, equipping, and you haven't finished working. And we're working in this circle together to make it complete because that's what he says. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, as a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature, until we've all come together in unity, like the circle is complete and it's full and it's doing what God has called us to do and set us apart to do. And, and Jesus is in the center of it. And each one of us know our place and our part and we're doing it well. Why? Because we're trying to attain the measure of Christ's stature. Pause. Here's what we do. Most of us live our lives comparing ourselves to someone who's struggling more in their spiritual journey than we are. What does that look like? Well, I think I'm a pretty good Christian. Why would you say that? I went down to 11B. There were people down there I was feeding, and they can tell you scripture, and they'll have a needle hanging out their arm. Clark, I'm telling the truth, right? They'll have a heroin needle in their arm, and they can quote scripture, and they'll tell you they're saved. And so we look at them, and we say, oh, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good as a Christian, right? That's not your standard. I'm not your standard. The standard of measure is Jesus you put yourself next to Jesus, and all of a sudden, if you're honest and let the Holy Spirit be honest with you, all of a sudden, we all need a good working over. We all need a facelift. We all need an, an interior redesign, and the Holy Spirit wants to help us with that. And so he goes on in verse 14. He says, so we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceit schemes. Listen to me. If you don't know how to pray, or maybe you try to pray and you just don't know what to pray for, look at these first three or four rows right here, okay? And we've got some scattered around here and there. Our students, middle school, high school, college students, lift them up. They live in a hellish world. They live in a world that has lost its way, lost its bearings, and everything they believe to be true, which is a lie, they promote and they just slam it right down their throats. And you need to pray for them. Because they get in a world where they've heard the truth, but all of a sudden they hear a lie presented as the truth, and it makes their head spin around. And some of us as adults, we've bought the lie too. Scripture tells us right here, listen church, personal growth is significant. It's critical for the church, the circle to be healthy, and for it to continue to grow. We've got to get over the baby stuff. We've got to stop acting like we just got saved yesterday. I've been saved for 50 years, and there are days that you couldn't tell that I got saved last week. We've got to set that stuff down. We've got to become mature. And it only happens when we are intentional about growing personally in our walk with God. Number two, it's not just personal growth that causes the circle to increase and to be healthy and complete. It requires a spiritual growth. A spiritual growth is okay. We begin to grow personally in our walk with Jesus. And we begin to uncover the fact that there's more to this world than what we see. There's a spiritual realm out there. Scripture says uh, uh, where angels and demons fight over us, where, uh, where things are going on we can't see, it's very, very real. You can count on it. Now, you can't necessarily see it today, but it's all around us. In this very room, there's a warfare at play over this place, over you, and by all means, over me as the pastor. It's very, very real, and it's after our children. So a believer 
must develop their spiritual understanding. Now, in the world we live in, we all go through hard times. And we all have these things that happen and we just would rather happen to somebody else. I mean, we could give God a list. If you're going to bring this on, let me give you a few names, okay? Send them that way. Send it that way. We've got to understand that there is a thing called the balance of God. In this world, bad things happen and good things happen. It's called the balance of God. In the end, it's designed for a greater goal. And it's for you and for me to begin to look around and say, you know, there must be more to this world than this. Why does evil happen? Because there's evil in the world and there's an evil leader of the world that's evil. And why do good things happen? Because there's a good leader of a good world and his name is God. Listen to what Ecclesiastes says in chapter 3. He says, there is an appointed time for everything, the balance of God. There's a time for every matter under heaven. Time to give birth, time to die, time to plant, time to uproot what is planted. Time to kill, time to heal, time to tear down, time to build up. Time to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance. Time to throw stones, time to gather stones, time to embrace, a time to shun embracing. A time to search, a time to give up as lost. A time to keep, a time to throw away. A time to tear apart, a time to sew together. A time to be silent, a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate. A time for war, a time for peace. And then he says, what benefit is there for the worker from, which, from that which he labors I have seen the task which God has given the sons of mankind, which, ought, which are to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time, the balance of God. Sometimes in that balance, it's awful. And sometimes in that balance, it's sweet. And if, you, if you've experienced both sides of the balance, just put your hand up. I want you to know you're not alone. It's the world we live in, okay? God doesn't take us out of that world yet. What he does is he commits to coming into that world and walking through both of them with us. Now, all of that is, in, is, is designed with something else in mind. Listen to what it says now in verse 11. He says, everything in its appropriate time. He, God, has also set eternity in their heart without the possibility that mankind will find out the work which God has done from beginning to the end. He's placed eternity in in your heart. He allows evil. He allows good. So all of a sudden, sudden, something rises up that there must be more to it than this. Everybody, lost or saved, atheist, agnostic, whatever category you want to put, whatever title you want to own, everybody ask a question, is there something else out there? Is there something beyond this life? All religions at some level wrestle with that and come up with a plan. God has told us in his word what the real plan is. Eternity is real, and he's placed it in our hearts. Now, I want you to know, it's not in everybody's heart. It's not in every part of creation's heart. You have that in your heart because you are created imagio Dei in the image of God. And when he created you in his image, he breathed life into mankind. You can read the creation account, the book of beginnings. He didn't do it to the animal kingdom. He didn't do it to the plant life. He didn't do it to the solar system or the universe. He did it to you. He did it to me. We're created with eternity in our heart. Now, he didn't do it to squirrels. Squirrels just kind of go from nut to nut, and that's about it. He didn't do it to the rabbits. Rabbits kind of go from clover patch to clover patch, hoping they don't encounter a hawk. That's their life. He didn't do it to dogs. Dogs kind of do it, go from meal to meal, nap to nap. And he didn't do it to cats. 
Well, I think cats know their eternal destiny and they don't want to talk about it. So if you're a cat lover, I'm sorry that you're a cat lover. Okay? So as for me, he placed eternity in my heart. As for you, he's placed, so, so go with that. If you're lost today or if you're saved, when you begin to ponder on eternity, roll with that. Know that that's a gift from God, that he pricked your heart. He he planted that in you to consider something bigger than this life. Because trust me, we, we place all of our emphasis on this short life that we live. The psalmist says, uh, uh, teach us to number our days because life is just a vapor. Consider the, the, the eternal side of things. Live this life for the next. And so we've got to develop spiritually. We're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Now let's talk about that a little bit. How do I know we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit? Scripture tells us. In Ephesians 5, 18, he says, Do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's your good options right there. Be filled with the Spirit. He says, Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. So, what does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? If you're a saint... We know we've already defined what that is. If that's you today and you're a part of God's family, you've been adopted into his forever family in Jesus, okay? When that happened, at the moment of your conversion, the Holy Spirit came and took up abode in your life. Yeah, the Holy Spirit of God, part of the Trinity we talked about last week. He lives in you. And when he showed up, he showed up with a fruit basket that said, welcome to the family. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the fruit basket that the Holy Spirit showed up that said to you, welcome to the family. What is that fruit basket? It's found in Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, we learn about this fruit basket. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. I want you to know this. Inside of you, if you're a saint, if you're born again, There's these fruit that are in there. The Holy Spirit showed up with the fruit basket and he just dumped them off. And they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're in you. Now listen to me. Here's one way that you can determine whether or not you're truly saved. If out of your life comes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if that comes out of your life, it's a good indication that the Holy Spirit is in your life, meaning you're saved. If you look at your life and it's like the antithesis of that fruit basket, it's a good indication you may not know Jesus at all because the Holy Spirit has never entered your life. Now, there are denominations that want to believe, and I don't, I'm not going to argue with them. It's fine. They want to believe that the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes at a different encounter, meaning this. You get saved, and then somewhere along the line in the future, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you do miraculous things. You have the gift of healings. You speak in, in tongues and so forth. That's not what we believe. We believe that when you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes in. And to be filled with the Spirit means this. Are you ready? The fruits are in there. To be filled with the Spirit means you let the fruits come out. It's a daily surrender to the Holy Spirit. You simply say, I don't want to live this life just for me and my desires. I want to live for you, God. I want your Holy Spirit to just kind of rise up. Today, when I'm frustrated, 
Today, when I have this encounter, today when this bad thing or that bad thing's happened, God, I just want the Holy Spirit to come out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith. I want them just to, just to swell up and come out. Because you're in there. I know you're in there because I'm saved. I want you to come out. And so it looks like we, we begin to understand personal growth and spiritual growth for the circle to be complete and for it to be all that God intended. But thirdly, I want you to see it requires faithful growth. So once we understand our, per, our personal need for growing in Jesus, we understand that there's a spiritual, uh, spiritual realm out there and we begin to kind of dive in and understand that more. Now we practice what it is we're learning. And it happens through faithful growth. For, for the circle to be around Jesus well, we have to practice what we're learning. And so, it, first of all, it means to faithfully use our talent. As we grow personally and spiritually, we yield to the control of the Holy Spirit. We realize that not only do we have the fruit of the Spirit, we also have gifts of the Spirit. Now, this is cool. Beyond the fruit basket... Okay, now he begins to gift us. You and I have gifts of the Spirit, okay? Now, sometimes the Scripture lists those gifts, but I don't believe it's exhaustive. I don't believe that's all the gifts. You got, that's it. You got to pick one of these. I don't think that's it. I think gifts sometimes are manifested through talents. You can have a talent for art. You can have a talent for a sport. You can have a talent to sing. You can have a talent. Those are talents, and I believe they're gifts from God. And some of us, then, we have other gifts. There's spiritual gifts like the gift of hospitality. You just open your home. You're willing to let people come in. There's gifts of giving where you just you like to give more than you like to receive. There's all of these gifts. And you and I need to find out what that gift is, and we need to practice it. So how do we, you may be here today, and you say, well, I've been saved for 10 years, and I'm not sure what my gift is. You know why? Number one, you've never asked the Holy Spirit to reveal it. Number two, you've never began practicing anything to determine what your gift is. Let me make it real simple. We share it this way all the time. You don't know what your gift is? Sign up for the preschool. You go back there. If they love you and you love them, that may be your gift to serve back there. If they throw up on you and poop on you twice and spit on you and you ain't happy about it, that's probably not your spiritual gift. But here's what we do sometimes. We try something, and if it doesn't work out, we go back to warm our seat on a Sunday morning, and we don't try anything else. That's wrong. If that doesn't work, you just move right on up the ranks. Make your way up into middle school. Middle school, that, that separates the men from the boys. That Working with middle school, that separates the saints from the lost. Okay? Work in middle school, high school, okay, college, talk to Caleb on the worship team. I mean, start a life group. I mean, there's all, there's tons of opportunity. Listen, I'm looking around. I say something somewhat humorous, humorous and about two-thirds of you smile. The other third, I need to pray for you. About two-thirds of you smile. You know what that means? You got a gift. You got a gift. You've got a, you, God has given you the ability to be joyful. You know where that, where that works great? The connection center, the, the, uh, our greeters, okay, out at the front door, come out there and hang out with me. All you got to do is say, hey, thanks for coming to church. I'm smiling. I'm not sure. I'm just happy to be at church rather than the hospital. You know, that's all it takes. But what we would, we're, we're more content to sit and soak and sour and do nothing with it. And listen to me, church. You can do that till Jesus comes back and you'll be miserable as a follower of Jesus. He put you here. He filled you with a fruit basket. He's given you gifts and talents for a purpose, and that is to grow the kingdom. He wants to deploy you in his kingdom agenda. Not only should we be faithful in our 
talents, we should be faithful with our time. To grow intentionally as a Christian requires discipline. It requires diligence. It requires effort. And to grow faithfully, we have to give our time. It begins in the morning. You need to get up every morning and at least read a verse of the Bible, preferably more. You need to begin your day with prayer. Before, you ever, before your feet ever hit the floor, you should say, God, here's another one. Thanks for waking me up. Help me live for you today. Show me what you want me to do. Just prayer, simple conversation with God. But it requires diligence. It requires effort. Because without diligence and effort, it falls in disarray. You see, there's a natural law of physics in our world called the law of entropy. The law of entropy is nature's desire to naturally progress toward chaos and disorganization. It's a very real law. How do I know it works? Look at my closet. Look at your closet. Is it naturally organized and all everything hung? Where, no, it's not. Look at uh, your garage. Look at your garage. There's a good one. Okay? It's just, it, it just comes apart. And so you need to apply energy uh, to push back against disorganization. And it's true in our spiritual journey as well. So what does that include, to be faithful, faithful with our time? Not only personally, but listen to me, corporately. Y'all look good today. I'm glad you're here. You should be here every week. You should be here every week. Do you know that? You see, in Scripture, in the Old Testament, uh, God ordained a day. It's called the Shabbat. It was Saturday. It was the Sabbath. And it's one of the big ten, one of the commandments, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. In other words, to make this day a day of rest and spiritual nourishment so you can tackle another week. In the new, so you say, okay, why are we here on Sunday then? Should we have not come yesterday? We couldn't. You wouldn't have been here as a football game. So we do it on Sunday because of football season. <laughs> That's not it. It's not it at all. It's a good reason, but it's not the reason. We do it because for 2,000 years, we have met on Sunday, which is the first day of the week, which was the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And in the early first century church, they met on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. 2,000 years later, it still works. So we do it on Sunday. Does it mean we can't have a service on Saturday or a Wednesday or a Monday? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it means the sun, that Sunday is to be set apart as special and significant for a believer. It's important, it's important that you come to church every Sunday. Do you know that? It's important that you give God your time. It's important because people see whether or not you go to church or not. It's important because there's people here at church who are expecting to see you. Sometimes people are afraid to invite people to church because they're afraid the person might show up when they ain't there. Okay? See, it's all sideways. Now you say, well, I don't like this, Pastor Joel. Fine. We're going to keep going. Okay? I want you to know that you should have a desire. Did you see those kids I baptized today? They're excited about being church on Sunday. So are their family. Okay? So was the preacher. You should be excited. Scripture says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, what did that look like in the early church that people were coming to church regularly? I mean, they had to come once a week. They had to come every week. They did more than that. They were excited. You see, in the early church, it began with 120 disenchanted followers of Jesus. Jesus jumped on a cloud, rode back to heaven. They're like, well, now what are we going to do? Our hero just went home. All right, what are we going to do? And so they said, well, we got the Pentecost coming up here in a little bit. A celebration, I guess we can get ready for that. So 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, uh, crucifixion and resurrection, then 
Pentecost came. It was no ordinary Pentecost. We talked about it a few weeks ago. The Holy Spirit came down and breathed on them. And they, they began to speak in foreign languages to, so they could communicate the gospel with all of those people who came to Jerusalem for the Pentecost. Now watch this. They, the Holy Spirit came down. Shortly after that, Peter preached a message. Okay, He just preached. 3,000 people got saved. <laughs> That's a good day for the preacher. The next week... How was church? It was pretty good. How was your church? It was pretty good. We had 3,000 guys say, yeah, that's cool. Well, that's what I want. I want the Lord to do that so I can brag. That's why I want it. That's why he don't let me do it. Because it would be like Facebook, 3,000. It's a good day. You know? So now they got 3,120 in their church. What do they do? What do they do? They got to figure this thing out. They're believers now. They've been rescued from a destiny called hell, set on a new trajectory to heaven. What does that look like? In Acts chapter 2, we can find it. In verse 42, it says, Now these new converts were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They wanted to get together with other Christians. And they wanted to hear the word of God preached. You ready? To the breaking of bread and prayer. After church, hey, you want to go get some lunch? They did that 2,000 years ago. They're still going to Aubrey's. You know, hey, where you want to go? Their conversations were the same. They're walking out in their sandals. Man asked his wife, where you want to go? Oh, it doesn't matter to me. Oh, why don't we go, why don't we go to, the, uh, to the Jewish Taco Bell? You know? Well, we ate there yesterday. Men, you have that at your house. It doesn't matter except for the place that you're going to mention next. So you need to learn, mention the one thing you desire least of all. Mention that, that means you don't have to go there. It's a good plan, reverse psychology. Now, if, this is, we're talking 2,000 years ago. So it says, they broke bread together, they prayed, and a reverential awe came over everyone. Why? Because they are faithful. Because they're committed to something different than the world. The world's offering everything in the kitchen sink. And the early church says, that's awesome, but I got to go to church. I got to go be with my peeps. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to listen to some preaching. I'm going to sing some songs. I'm going to rally up a few people. We're going to go get us some lunch. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to start all over again soon. Listen to what happens. Reverential all came over everyone. Many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. Verse 44, all who believed were together, and they held everything in common. This circle, man, is full and complete. It's vibrant. It's alive. And it says in verse 45, and then they begin selling their property and possessions. You know they've gone nuts. They're selling their stuff and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. Every day they continued to gather together by common consent, common consent in the temple courts. Pause Every day. Some of y'all just said, we got to go every day. All we're asking is you to come faithfully every week. You know, when I was growing up, when you couldn't do anything on Sunday, it was really, you had to, that whole, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. If you're all with, it was, it was mandated. You couldn't operate a business. You ran out of, ga of gas, fine, you'll get some on Monday. You ran out of bread, fine. Monday, you can get you some, okay? You want to go to Dollywood? Didn't exist, okay? But if it did, it wouldn't be open on Sunday. Sunday was a special day. It was taboo to do anything. You're supposed to just 
Remember it, keep it holy and rest and enjoy your family. Not anymore. So Sunday is no longer taboo. Not only that, but on Wednesday, back in the day, if you, did, if, if you were faithful, you, you went to church on Wednesday. So you'd go Sunday morning, and since you couldn't do anything else on Sunday night, you'd go back because there ain't nothing else to do. It's the, it's the best gig in town. It's all they got. And then on Wednesday night, you'd go back, okay? And so we've diluted all that. We no longer meet every day. We no longer meet Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We want you to be here on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. And we struggle with that. See, we've lost our faithfulness in our time. And God is serious about it. Now watch this. Listen to what happens. You say, why is this even important? Okay, let's ask scripture. So every day they continue to gather together by common consent in the temple courts. Every day breaking bread from house to house. He's going, let's go to temple. Let's go home, get us something to eat. And then he goes on, he says, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And watch this. And the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. When the circle gets good, when the circle has, is comprised of saints who find their place and are devoted to it, God looks down and he breathes over it, and he adds to it. That's what you're here for. I get excited about baptism. You ought to get excited about baptism. It's why you're here. You were saved so God could use you to help other people be saved. And when we're devoted and when we're faithful with our talents and with our time, God begins to add to it. And the third one, the least popular subject of all that I preach on, faithfulness in giving of our financial resources. Faithfulness in giving our financial resources. Now, I don't run from this. I don't hide from it. I'm a product of this. I was taught this. And I am blessed because of it. And for me to never mention finances in our church, I would be robbing you as a blessing. And I would be, uh, I would be failing as a pastor or as a shepherd because I want what's best for you. Now, to be faithful in giving is an odd thing. Because we live in a world of Christianity where people are like really committed to saying, yeah, I've trusted God with my forever destiny in heaven. I've given him my soul. I know he has it in his hand. I can't lose it. I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. We're good at that. But then we turn around and we're like, yeah, but I can't trust him with my 50 bucks in my wallet. I can trust him with my soul, but I can't trust him with my resources. There's a disconnect there, a disparity. Listen to me. If you can trust God, with your soul, which means you trust God enough to die in your place. Listen to me. You can trust him with your resources. I can show you in scripture. I can prove it personally. It's real. Sometimes I mention this, that I've had people ask me, so uh, do you know what we give? I know that this church this year will probably give $1.3 million dollars. I know where a fragment of that came from, me. I know what the end result is. I don't know what you give, nor do I really care. Why? Because for some, I'd be a little disappointed. And for others, I'd probably be a little overexcited about what you gave. Okay? I had somebody ask me one time, do you gather W-2s at the end of the year to make sure we're given 10%? I was like, I didn't know we could do that. 
And they said, our old church did. (laughs) No, we don't do that. Giving is a discipline in our spiritual journey. I'm not a prayer police. I don't call you, hey, did you pray pray this morning? I was praying the Holy Spirit told me you didn't even show up. You know, I don't do that. Do I I call you, did you read three chapters? Are you going through the uh, annual reading plan? Did you do your chapters? I don't do that. That's between you and Jesus. I don't call you. I don't call uh, uh, Tim or the finance team. I want a list of people who ain't giving. I got to give them a call. Why ain't you giving? And we don't do that. Okay, it's between you and Jesus. But I can tell you this it's important that you pray. I can tell you this it's important that you read God's word. I can tell you this is it, it, that it's important that you uh, are faithful, a faithfully good steward with your resources. And so uh, faithfulness then is part of our growth. Now, now watch this. Why is that important? Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God just knows us. And he knows if he's got our finances, our finances are chasing our heart. Our heart is chasing our finances, and he knows that. And if he can get our finances, he's standing a better chance of having our heart. It's about that simple. Now, listen to this. When we grow, when we grow personally, when we grow spiritually, when we grow faithfully, our circle begins to be more complete. Jesus is, is, is the center, and, and all of a sudden, all eyes are, are on Jesus rather than the world. And we're getting excited about what God's doing in our life because we're, regardless of what anybody else is doing, we're in the game. I mean, we're doing it, right? What happens? When we do those things well, the church will grow numerically. Now, let me just go ahead and address this again. I addressed it before in case you weren't here. Sometimes people say, well, that preacher, that church, they're just worried about the numbers. Are you ready? Let me just clear that up. Your preacher is worried about the numbers, okay? Always, okay? And you should be worried about the numbers. I don't hide from that. I don't cower from that. I love numbers. Numbers are our friends. And every number in the circle represents a soul. And every single soul is important, so important to God that he wrapped himself in skin and came to this earth and died for each one. Yeah, I'm about numbers. I watch our offerings. I watch our count our baptisms. We count our attendance. We count our little boys and girls in the back, which is our future. Yeah, we count them. In the Bible, God named a whole book numbers. He's cool with numbers. You don't have to worry about numbers because your staff and your pastor are worried about numbers. We don't worry about them. We just like them. You ready? Oh, wow. Because when we do things well, when we begin to grow personally, spiritually, and faithfully, we grow numerically. And you may be here and you say, well, I I really want to be a part of a little church. You'll have to go find one. This is not going to be a little church. And we may break off and start other churches and uh, revitalize other churches, and they'll begin small. But the goal is not for them to stay small. The goal is for the church to grow. This is God's circle. This is God's community. This is the bride of Christ. Jesus didn't come for a few. Jesus came and died for everybody. And he wants us all, he wants everybody to come to him. And I can show you in scripture that that this is the way it is. In Luke chapter 14, verse 23, it says, So the master said to his slave, Go out into the highways and the byways, country roads, and urge people to come in so that the house may be uh, filled. He wants this church to be filled. You see some empty seats? That's for you. Not to sit in, but to find someone who will. 
2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord's not slow concerning his promise, his promise to return for his second coming. He says, like some regard slowness, but he is patient towards you because he does not wish for any to perish. He doesn't wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Those people in your neighborhood, the people in your family, the people in your school and on your teams, he don't want them to spend a desti- a, an eternal destiny separated from him. He wants them to be in the circle, and he's patient. The only reason Jesus hadn't returned yet, because there's still some people out there that haven't found their way into God's circle yet. Matthew chapter 16, 18. I'm telling you, God's going to grow his church. God is going to grow his church. How do I know? Because Jesus told us that he will grow his church. He says this in Matthew 16, 18. I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, the rock of the truth of the gospel, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Scripture tells us he'll grow his church. I can, tell, I can show you're a part of the reality that Jesus desires to grow his church. Eight years ago, there were about 50 people. Our average attendance in August was 525 or something like that. Do you realize that's a tenfold growth in eight years? If God does that again, 10 years, eight years from now, we'll have over 5,000 people. You say, do you really believe 5,000 people will be here? I don't know. I didn't really believe 500 would be here eight years ago. Do you, do you want the church to be a mega church? Doesn't matter what I want. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is the Lord Jesus' church. This is his circle. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm committed to whatever he wants to build. Count me in. Okay? Include me. And I hope that's your prayer. I, I want you to know, God wants to use you to enlarge heaven and decrease the size of hell. That's big. That's why you're here. It's why you were saved. All we've got to do is plug in and do things the way God wants us to do them. And he will grow his church. So here's the question. It's beautiful, the circle. It's beautiful. Jesus in the center. All of us on the outside looking toward the center. An eternal family. It's it's amazing. It's the coolest thing that's ever happened in all of eternity. And you and I as saints are part of it. Okay? And as great as that is, if we're not careful, we look at each other and look at Jesus and we forget. Right out there on the outside of the circle are people who have not encountered Jesus yet. People who are not in the circle of God. And maybe you're here today. And when I said that, You just thought to yourself, are all these people in the circle? Because I'm not sure that I'm in the circle. (laughs) You are in the right place for the day. Because you can be in the circle. If you're not in the circle, maybe you've pretended like you were in the circle. Maybe you've never heard about the circle. Maybe you've never heard about Jesus. You're in the right place. On this day, maybe it is that the Holy Spirit of God has reached down into this room, something you didn't come for, and whispered into your soul and said, hey, I'll take you just like you are. Would you come into my family? I've done everything possible to adopt you and rescue you. All you have to do is agree to receive it. 
And if you will, I'll call you mine. And you can call me yours for all of eternity. You say, well, how do I do that? You simply say, God, no more playing games. I know I'm messed up. I've tried to fix parts of me. Exercise in futility, it didn't happen. I can't do it. And if you're telling me that Jesus will fix every problem I have, he'll restore me and make me right. Not make me perfect, but make me perfect in your sight and help me live for you for this, from this day through all of eternity, I'll take that into my life. Save me. I'm not worried about anybody else. Save me today. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And just like Riley and Logan, when they prayed, God will save you. And His Holy Spirit will take up a residence in your life. And you'll be in the circle with Jesus as the center for all of eternity. The best place you'll ever be. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you so much for those that have gathered. I thank you for the joy we have to come and to worship you and to open your word and be reminded about how our spiritual journey is so much bigger than anything in this world. And so God, help us figure that out. Help us be diligent and disciplined in pursuing what that looks like. God, I do pray that if there's someone here today, I venture to say there is, who have never met you in a real and personal way, that this is the day, God, for their salvation, that they would receive Jesus and their forever life would be radically changed. But God, there's a lot of people here today who are already considered saints. God, I pray that they will engage in the work of the ministry for fulfilling your will to grow and complete the body. That they will be ministers in their own homes, in their neighborhoods, in their workplace, in their schools, on their teams. That they'll come together with excitement about what you might do through their lives in reaching others. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.